Hello, and welcome back to the middle of medicine. This is episode seven, and I am one of your co-hosts, Aubrey Jones. And I'm your other regular co-host, Peter Jones. So today, we just thought we would kind of have a grab bag of smaller topics. There were just some different things we wanted to talk about today, so it'll be kind of a kind of a mishmash of things. What do you say? <laughs> you know, I think sometimes a mishmash is a good thing to have. You know, it's a... Uh, there's been a number of different things that I think you and I have talked about over the last little bit and a few articles that I've found that I thought were interesting to talk about. And so I think this gives us a chance to just kind of talk about a few medical issues um, and and sort of catch up and, and talk about a few different things. Yeah, sounds good. What articles are we, are you thinking about? Well, so... Uh, you know, I shared a number of articles with you um, that I have found over the course of the last couple of weeks. And obviously, I get a whole bunch of emails of different um, websites, things like that, that, uh, that'll pass things along. And I kind of just saved a few different ones that I thought were interesting. And most of these are going to be focusing on health. So the first one I thought I would mention is there was a, a recent study um, that was published, and I'm trying to see where it was published, and I may not have all that information. Oh, here we go. Let's see. The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and this is a study out of Northwestern University, and it had to do with sleep and light levels. Now, one of the reasons this jumped out to me is because you sometimes need to sleep when it's light, correct? I sure do. How's that <laughs> going for you? I do that to you. You know, I have ways to make it dark in, in my room. <laughs> I have this nice sleep mask that you got me that I use because I also have blackout curtains, but they don't, like, it's not perfect yeah. um, closing off all cracks of light. So I use both of those to make it very dark in my room, which is great, but... My body kind of freaks out when I'm trying to sleep during the day anyway, so I sometimes have to take melatonin or something like that. <laughs> For sure. And that makes sense. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons that I gave you that sleep mask is because, you know, I've had experience where maybe I don't have to work night shifts, but I've certainly had to work 24 or 30-hour shifts and mm -hmm. sometimes had to take a nap during the day. And, and when it's bright, I just can't do that very well. And yeah. I definitely find that having things... Uh, dark makes a difference. And, and this study is an interesting study because it wasn't just about the quality of sleep. That's not actually what they were looking at. But what they found is that insulin levels were much higher if you slept with a light on than if you slept with things were dark. And so they were finding that after sleep, it required higher levels of insulin to normalize blood glucose as compared to people who were sleeping in a very low light. And, and this was, you know, this was eyes closed. It was filtering out 90% of the light. And they kind of had a number of different ways they measured how they were doing this. But the most interesting thing I found is that what they found in this study, so melatonin levels in the two groups were the same. So they didn't think that this had anything to do with melatonin or, or hormonal issues like that. But it was actually the higher levels of light, again, even though eyes were closed, and this wasn't a ton of light. Basically, the way they um, put it is it was enough light that you could see, but it would be difficult to read by. So it wasn't enough to actually read. So 
kind of to give okay. people an idea where that was. But that amount of light activates the parasympathetic nervous system as well as, excuse me, the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is our fight and flight response. And it's when we respond to stress. And one of the hormones that's secreted with the activation of the sympathetic nervous system is cortisol. And cortisol, again, higher levels of cortisol, higher levels of blood sugar, and probably is somehow playing into the fact that these people needed higher levels of insulin to then regulate their blood sugar. So I think a really important reminder and a good study to say anything we can do to decrease the amount of light when we're trying to sleep will be very helpful. So yeah. just kind of a word to everybody out there. And, and I'm sure you, again, you've actually got maybe more experience with this than I do in the last few years. Yeah, I and I have these LED light strips in my room and I'll turn it onto red, like like when as I'm like getting ready for bed and that kind of thing as I'm like yeah. winding down because it's just like, you know, long, long wavelengths of light, mm -hmm. uh, easier on the eyes to help kind of ease, ease you down. And then I, <laughs> during the day, do everything I can to make it dark in my room <laughs> so I can sleep at seven in the morning. <laughs> well, you know, it sounds like that's a good idea. Um, dovetailing off that then was another thing I saw in the last week or two that I thought was interesting. And I think this was a week before last, and I don't know if you saw this, but in an amazing um, unanimous action, the Senate voted to do away with daylight saving time. Okay. I saw that. And, but, but here's the problem. These, hmm, I don't want to say idiots, but I'll just say idiots decided that what we should do and, and the way it was voted on was in 2022 in November will fall back like normal. Then in 2023 we'll spring ahead like normal and then just never fall back. Okay. So we would stay on the daylight saving time. And this immediately from a number of sleep experts and neurologists and a whole bunch of people, they kind of came out and they were like, uh, timeout guys. Getting getting rid of daylight saving time, great idea, because the clock moving is beyond dumb. It does yeah. absolutely nothing except mess with people yeah. big time. And so they're like, yes, great idea. We're totally down with getting rid of that. But if you want to do this the right way, you got to do it on normal time, not on the saving time. And mm. and the reason is uh, they they talk a lot about circadian rhythms. And, you know, the circadian rhythm is kind of our built-in sort of biological clock that tells us, hey, mm -hmm. the sun is up or the sun is rising. And so there's, you know, activity and things like the pineal gland or whatever that then tell us, okay, it's time to get up. And then the sun's going down. And again, I think the pineal gland, and this is a long time ago, I could be totally wrong, <laughs> but this is what my, this is what I'm remembering from like 20 years ago. But I'm pretty sure then when the levels of light decrease, you know, what should happen is the pineal gland should then secrete melatonin, which helps us get ready for, you know, go to sleep and, and, and that sort right. of thing. And if we, st our jobs aren't going to change time. School isn't going to be an hour later because we're staying ahead, but now the sun is setting an hour later. And so our circadian rhythm is going to get thrown off where it's going to be harder to fall asleep. People are going to be getting less sleep, but still having to get up at the same time it's going to be harder to get up because people are getting up now and it's darker in the morning. And so 
again, just a thing where it's like, okay, great. Good idea, guys. Let's definitely get rid of daylight saving time and let's stop moving the clocks. But Mm -hmm. for the sake of sleep quality and just sort of general overall health, if we're going to do it for pity's sake, do it on normal time. Like let's fall back in November and then stay there instead of springing ahead and staying there. I mean, that quote extra hour of light, which I don't understand whoever thought that it was an extra hour of light because it's not because it's the same. (laughs) Anyway, having it be (laughs) light an hour later Uh, doesn't really serve any purpose. Like it doesn't help. And you hear all these, oh, well, the farmers, the farmers are like, this is stupid. They don't even want it. So nobody (laughs) wants it. And, and so it's like, why the heck are we doing it? And especially let's, let's not do it then. That's just not the way to do it. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, I agree. At first I thought it was fine. Cause I like, I hate when it gets darker earlier. It just makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> like when the sun sets at like 5 PM, like in the winter and stuff. Cause I don't know. I feel like I'm solar powered. Like mom is a little bit, but, um, if it means it's super dark when I wake up, I already have to get up super early for work most of the time anyways. I would yeah. like for the sun to be rising when I can do that. Because then, then again, my body's like, okay, it's time to wake up. Like, you're not getting up in the middle of the night. Like, yep. it's time to get up. <laughs> yeah. It definitely makes a difference having some light earlier in the day. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I think that that's uh, hopefully, you know, again... I'm down with doing away with the chime change altogether. I just hope they'll yeah. pull it together and actually do it in a way that is beneficial instead of a way that is not good. But Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so the next three, again, kind of cluster together. Again, we're talking about health. And so one of them is, again, a fairly good uh, study that showed that diet sodas or diet drinks are better than their sugared counterpart. And this is, you know, one of those things you look at and you're like, well, yeah, no, duh. But it's Mm -hmm. not that simple. There's been a whole lot, like I hear stuff all the time where people are like, oh, you know, artificial sweeteners can spike insulin levels as well. And I'm like, okay, where's the data? And Uh they did see that in mice, artificial sweeteners can induce glucose intolerance and lead to weight gain. But nobody's been able to show that in, in people yet. And yes, mice are are mammals and and we're mammals, but you can't just say, well, because something happens in a mouse, it's going to happen in a human. You can say, because this happened in a mouse, in in mice, it might happen in a human. And so Mm -hmm. then we need to study that. But, you know, it kind of looked like this, um, they really found that, there was some weight loss. There was some decrease in BMI. There was some decrease in body fat in people who switched from sugary drinks to low calorie drinks. And so again, it's kind of one of those things where I think people are like, you know, whatever you can do to find ways to decrease your calories, that's going to be beneficial for weight loss, BMI, things like that. The other one was they did take a couple groups of people and um, had them eat equal caloric amounts of French fries versus almonds every day and kind of look to see what happened. And what they found was that um, the people who were, were getting the fries at the end of the 
period of the study, they weren't any heavier. They didn't have higher BMIs. They hadn't really, you know, none of the parameters they were looking at between these two groups changed. And so again, it comes back to this idea that what really matters is calories is the most important. And yes, there's no question that there's quality in the calories and, and there are going to be things where for other reasons, one source of calories is better than another. But again, right. more and more evidence to say, if, if you're looking at body weight, BMI, and, and a lot of those things that we can actually measure fairly reliably, well, then it really is. It's a matter of how many calories are you getting a day? That that's number one. And then the final one was just some information on intermittent fasting. And, and you know me, I've kind of done intermittent fasting on and off for a number of years. Yeah. And they, there's not a lot of human studies and, and some of the ones that have been done aren't super strong or well-designed, uh, but they're starting to get a little bit more. And, and this was sort of looking at a number of different studies on intermittent fasting, kind of doing a meta-analysis of them. But again, what they found is that there was a decrease in BMI, body fat percent in weight in people who were doing intermittent fasting. And there were a bunch of different styles of intermittent fasting that were being done. But they found that that was, again, in, in the study, it was similar to the decreases they would see in people who were doing just straight caloric restriction. Kind of makes sense because if you're not eating a few days, you're kind of automatically restricting your calories. Yeah. <laughs> but again, none of this I thought was groundbreaking, but I thought that it was a good sort of confirmation for what a number of people have been saying for years, which is, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to food, there's room for everything, that moderation is the key, that whatever method people can use to help them if they're trying to lose weight restrict calories, whether it's just straight up tracking calories or caloric restriction mm -hmm. every day, or again, kind of an intermittent fasting model, there's benefit right. to that. And so really it's just a matter of like, find what works for you. You know, everybody needs to right. find what works for them, find what's going to be keeping them healthy and, and then stick with it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And there's always like so many things going around. Oh, you should be looking at this or you should be looking at this, but it's kind of nice to know that it's like, okay, calories are what you should be watching more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, the other one I'm going to actually save for next time we talk, but it, it was uh, about Congress passing uh, what was called the Dr. Lorna Breen Act, and it's about physician mental health. And I think that it could tie in nicely to what I think we'll end up talking about in a couple weeks. So I'm going to save that one for then. Sounds good. Sounds good. So why don't you go ahead and uh, let us know kind of what ideas did you have? Again, we thought we would talk about some interesting things we've seen, perhaps uh, unusual things we've seen in medicine. Um, you know, just again, sort of a grab bag. So why don't you kick it off? Yeah. So I have seen i mean i haven't been working at my job for a very long time so i haven't seen any crazy things but there are some things that you know if it happens during a shift you're like all right that was the like when you think of that shift this is what you're gonna think of <laughs> um so i've had a couple of those weird weird and unusual things happen in a couple of my recent shifts that kind of I my recent shifts have been night shifts so 
though the the events that have occurred woke me up if I wasn't awake already. <laughs> you know, crazier things happen at night. Yeah. That's just it's when always, the crazy it's stuff It's always happens. when you want it to be chill. It's always when you want it to be chill where the crazy stuff happens. <laughs> so I work in the neuroscience trauma unit. So we get a lot of stuff with spines and we get a lot of stuff with head injuries, brain injuries, that kind of thing. So I know I've mentioned this drain, this this type of technology on this um, podcast before, but... So t- yeah, tell us a little bit about EVDs. Yeah. Because so at this EVD, point, you have way more experience with EVDs than I do. So many. Every shift, almost every shift, I deal with an EVD. So an EVD is an external ventricular drain. And it basically deals with pressure in millimeters of mercury. That's the main focus of what the EVD is using. It's using pressure to drain fluid from the ventricles of the brain. And there can be a number of reasons why someone needs an EVD. They can have something like hydrocephalus, where their brain is just really, really full of fluid, cerebrospinal fluid. Um, if a kid has a hematoma, so a little like pocket of blood, they will have, they will use EVDs for that. Um, there are lots and lots of reasons for them to be used. So the main thing about EVDs is that when the drain is open, when it is unclamped, you can't move your head you being patient, (laughs) the patient cannot move their head up and down vertically. They can roll it kind of side to side, staying, if they stay on the same horizontal plane, but they cannot move their head up and down because if they do that, the pressure gets messed up because it's not leveled where it needs to be. The pressure gets messed up. This is very simplified, but (laughs) pressure gets messed up and either there can be draw back where the fluid that was drained gets sucked back in mm-hmm. or it dumps way faster than it needs to way faster than the drain is trying to do so the drain gets leveled at different millimeters of mercury depending on obviously what the kid needs how fast it needs to be draining that sort of thing so it gets the drain gets leveled right to the inside of their ear with the little arrow that's on the drain. That's how they line it up. Mm-hmm. That's how they know it's it's aligned correctly. The pressure is where it needs to be and it will dump, it will drain the fluid at the rate we need it to be dumping. So if any of that gets messed up, it's pretty scary because it's dealing with, you know, everything with the brain is scary. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with fluid coming from the brain just is really scary and you don't want to mess that up. So... Our rules are you clamp the drain if the patient wants to move, like get up to the bathroom, and it can only be clamped for 30 minutes at a time, Uh and after you unclamp it, so then it's open and draining, you have to have the drain open for another 30 minutes before you can clamp it again. Okay. To just keep it safe, make sure the fluid's draining at the good rate we need it to be draining and the pressure's not getting too messed up messing with this kid's head. So, 
We see these a lot in our unit, but it's mostly just our unit that deals with them. So sure. they're kind of a scary thing because not everyone in the hospital is trained on them. Um, and so I had one of, one of my little interesting stories that I'll, I'll say is I had a kid who had two EVDs coming from the same spot in his head, which is pretty rare. It's yeah. very rare to see two EVDs in a kid's head. I don't know why this patient had two EVDs because it was coming from the same spot. I still don't know why. <laughs> that was just the situation. <laughs> okay. And I'm certainly not going to be any help. <laughs> no. And this kid um, was a super chill kid, a bit developmentally delayed. So this kid didn't really know what was going on. They didn't really know what that there was a tube kind of coming out of their head. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I was going into this kid's room at around four in the morning on a night shift with the nurse to just do routine vital signs, um, check on this kid, how, how they're doing and that kind of thing. Um, and we're just checking the site or we go to check the site of where um, the EVDs are in this patient's head and they're not there. Oh dear. It's just gauze taped to this patient's head. Mm -hmm. We were like, where are the EVDs? <laughs> and the nurse goes, are his EVDs out? And I was like, no, you're kidding. There, no, there's no way. There's literally no way because the tubes go in there. It's like a regular kind of tube. And then the last inch that actually goes into the kid's head is kind of flexible, pretty thin tubing. Right. And it gets stitched, you know, yeah. onto the head. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're like, where are the EVDs? Because <laughs> we've seen the tubing. But we're like, they're not in his head. And then we look around the bed and we're shining a flashlight and they're just laying on the pillow next to him. Oh, my goodness. Just sitting there. And we were like, okay, crap. This is really, really bad. <laughs> so we, like, flip on the lights. And I'm opening the EVD emergency kit. And we're putting the gauze on his head. Because the biggest thing about EVDs is when it, the EVD's out, you don't want anything going out. Right. Because there's nothing catching it. So I'm, like, applying pressure to this kid's head and with all the gauze panicking the nurse goes out to get the senior nurse that was on our pod who was a lot more experienced with evds than any of us sure <laughs> did and so we were like um um this kid's uh evds are out uh panic <laughs> <laughs> and she just comes in she's like okay we can handle this this is, it's okay we're good and basically he this kid didn't have much output anyways so it was like the best situation it was like the best kid this could have happened to, yeah, basically. Yeah. Because the next day, they were gonna take out the EVDs anyway. Oh, thank goodness. Said. But what was so weird is that they came clean out. There, nothing was broken. Was the weirdest part is that that little flexible tubing. Usually, what happens when kids pull their EVDs out is it like snaps or breaks yeah. or something. Yeah. And that's when we really need to panic because then it's just a Floating little piece of tube the in their head. Yeah. Yeah. But th it was clean out, both of them, just laying perfectly, sitting there on the pillow. <laughs> so we were like, wow, this kid must have just rolled over wrong. And then it 
came clean out or something. So it was a very eventful night. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds like the it. Resident. <laughs> and the resident was like, the DVDs are staying out. We were going to take them <laughs> out anyways. Just like tape it or something. And we were like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't even come in to stitch it until the morning. Yeah. So we just put gauze on it and kind of like wrapped his head in this like cloth tape stuff to keep right. the gauze on. But yeah. So anyway, have you, what, what interesting things have you seen in your line of work? I'm interested. <laughs> well, you know, um, just a reminder for everyone. I am a urologist who did a couple years of general surgery before I moved into urology as is the norm. Uh, at the time it was two years. And so most of the, the things that stick out in my mind all kind of fall back to people placing things where they don't belong. And so I'm going to run down a quick yeah. little list of some of the things that uh, I've seen and or had to remove that kind of thing. Oh, dear. Um, we did have somebody come in once who, quote, fell on a shaving cream can in the shower. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Unfortunately perforated the rectum and the bladder and uh, went kind of right into both. So that was interesting to have to fix. Um, I did have someone who inserted a coat hanger, an old wired coat wire coat hanger into the urethra. Um, They had the forethought to bend it. So they weren't poking a sharp end in. Unfortunately, they didn't bend it equally, so it kind of had a shorter arm, and that arm got all the way in the urethra. So then when they tried to pull it out, it kind of acted like a fish hook and sort of hooked and and wouldn't come. So I had to get that one out with the camera and kind of make sure that I I saw that I was, you know, guiding it out um, without it (laughs) catching on anything. Uh, I've seen a foam cord um, that was inserted and then kind of moved around enough that it knotted itself up. And so we couldn't just pull it out. We had to, to uh, make an incision and surgically remove that one. Uh, I, I think the most recent one was actually a USB cable, but it wasn't the cable. It was just like the housing for a USB cable. And I got the call from the ER that was, you know, this is what happened. And then I was in the middle of, I think I was in the middle of surgery and, you know, while, yeah, that's weird to have a USB cable up in the bladder. It's not like an emergency emergency. So I didn't have to stop surgery. So I finished up whatever case I was doing. And then as I was walking over to the ER, I got a call and they're like, Oh, Hey, he just peed it out. And fortunately they'd saved it. So (laughs) I got over there and I walked in and I was like, Hey, can I see it? And they showed it to me and I turned to the person and I was like, that's the whole thing. And they were like, yeah, that's the whole thing. I was like, cool. See ya. Um, I've seen some pen cartridges, you know, like the, the little plastic, like from a big pen. I've seen those up in urethra. Oh. I've seen bobby pins. I've seen paper clips. Um, we had somebody who put a decorative glass egg in their rectum and because it was all nice and smooth on the edges, it created a real vacuum seal. And so we couldn't, it couldn't just get pulled out. Um, they ended oh, up having man. to actually make an incision and get it out because trying to pull it out was creating a negative pressure internally and it wouldn't come. Oh dear. Um, we had a Kong, the dog toy that you like put peanut butter in oh. and, and give the dogs. <laughs> so somebody got one of those up inside. 
Um, I've seen a lint roller go in uh, in a rectum. And that feels, um, a lot of these feel too big. You know, you'd be amazed. But what I'm. Will fit. But I'm not. I don't want to know how. Um, so I will just <laughs> laugh at the the what. <laughs> and then there was one where I, I had somebody who had a bladder stone, you know, in their a stone in their bladder, mm-hmm. and I was using mm-hmm. the laser to break this up. And I all of a sudden I'm getting down to the middle of the stone, and it went from kind of the normal yellowish brownish that that stones are to blue. Oh, and I'm like, what the heck? And I kept breaking that off and lo and behold, in the middle of the stone was a button, like a one centimeter blue button that had somehow made it up oh. into the urethra and then into the bladder and then had been there long enough and that it had acted as a place where a stone could form around it. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Did have, uh, had a patient who was having repeat bladder infections and they had a diverticulum on the bladder, which is a little outpouching that doesn't have mm. any muscle in it anymore. So when the rest of the bladder squeezes to get the urine out, the diverticulum can't squeeze. And this patient was having, um, again, like I said, repeat bladder infections. And we assumed that it was because of the diverticulum because that wasn't emptying all the way. And so we were doing laparoscopic surgery to remove the diverticulum. And as I cut into the bladder, all of a sudden this yellow thing poked out and I grabbed it and pulled it out. It was about a seven centimeter long fishing lure. Um, It looked like a little, little rubber fish that the hooks had fortunately been pulled off of, but had kind of made it up in and, and had been in the bladder for, I don't know if we ever actually found out how long because the story we got was, shall I say, unconvincing. And then the, the final thing that I'll, the final one I'll mention is I had a, uh, a, a uh, younger person who was shot in the uh, tip of the penis by a BB by their sibling and it had gone in one side and then hadn't quite made it out the other side. So you could feel it under the skin on the other side. And so I needed to take this patient to the operating room to remove that. And the most traumatic part for the poor person, um, they went in to use the bathroom before we went to surgery and Mm -hmm. they came out of the bathroom just in tears and and they were like oh. they're like it came out the side too so when they oh. were peeing it came out the tip but then it also came out the entry wound um but they did great you know we got oh, it dear. out they healed up and everything but uh oh. you know a whole bunch of things like that and there's whole yeah. series on youtube and things like that where people talk about um y- you know guess what the foreign body is with like an x-ray things like that um <laughs> yeah y- you know and and that's it's always one of those things that people are like, Oh my gosh, why do they do that? And you know, you do this for a while and you just kind of go, look, I don't know, whatever, who cares? My job is just to get it out and make sure that, that, that they're okay. And that nothing gets hurt. That's all that I care about as long as nothing gets hurt, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. As long as they're they're fine, then whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it's, it's one of these things that you do this for a while and you start to get a whole bunch of different stories and, um, you, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll get a whole, you get a whole bunch of more stories. So, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do have one more EVD story yes, I, that happened it. pretty recently that I do want to talk about. Cause it was, oh man, it was just rough. I don't remember if I told you about it or not, but it was my like 
fourth shift in a week. It was my spring break, and I had picked up a couple extras. Um, I regret that because I got super burnt out by the, <laughs> by the end of the week. But anyways, yeah, gotta be careful. So it was about like my fourth shifts. shift. Yeah, I, it was like my fourth shift in a row, and it was day shift. And day shifts tend to be just a lot more crazy than night shift just because you're running around a lot more and stuff. So I was super exhausted. I, it just had been like a super long day. I was super behind on charting. So I was going to have to stay until I was done charting anyways. Um, we had just admitted this patient, um, who's pretty young, young enough to be in a crib. Um, and this patient was coming in for subdural hematomas so just pockets of blood in this kid's brain and this kid had two evds right on like the upper forehead on both sides of the head so this kid was waking up from surgery barely super loopy um we were talking to the parents about what the EVDs are and what the what we got to do to keep this kid safe and stuff, you know. And the parents were basically like, yeah, so this kid tends to try and jump out of the crib at home oh a lot. And we were like, okay, yeah, that's super fun with a kid with two EVDs. Okay, yeah, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't want that. These were <laughs> fresh EVDs that had just been put in. So, like, the like lowest pressure setting, dumping a ton of blood Ooh. at all minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was right at the end of my shift. So, I'm giving report to the new tech that was coming to swap me out. And then we see on the monitors that this little kid's heart rate had shot up to about 175. Well, that's a little and, fast, even for a kid. Yeah. And this kid was supposed to be asleep. So we were like, uh-oh. <sighs> so I go in there, and this kid is standing up. So uh-huh. obviously, number one, bad, because the pressure level isn't, it's not leveled anymore. Correct. With both hands on the EVDs, ready to pull out and is teeter-tottering about to fall over the crib side rails and screaming so bad 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 and bad because screaming (laughs) makes them dump more (laughs) screaming makes them dump more standing up so it's dumping more about to fall out of the crib and about to pull out the drains oh my goodness so (laughs) I'm like sprinting in there and I'm just a tech. So I'm never allowed to clamp the EVDs unless it's an emergency. It was an emergency. (laughs) So yeah, that, that definitely sounds like that would qualify. (laughs) So I run over there. I clamp them both immediately. The other tech that was right behind me runs to the kid and pulls the kid's hands like off of the drains and I call the nurse and I was like, we need you in here like right now, please. (laughs) Because the fluid, like, the blood was just dumping so fast. Like, it was filling up the little pressure gauge way too fast. Like, it was about to, like, back wash into the brain. So, that was super exciting. 
And I was already super tired and it was the end of my shift and I was like, not this again, not something (laughs) else, please no. But anyway, long story short, we put him on a one-to-one where we had a tech be there with the patient 24-7 to make sure they didn't Sounds like that was what was needed. Yeah, but that was super exciting. Yeah, (laughs) I bet it was. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the great things about uh, about medicine and taking care of people is it's never predictable. Yeah, you'll nope, always never find something new. Keep you on your toes. Even yeah. even things that you think you're like, ah, this is just straightforward, run of the mill. Yeah, they often are not. Mm-hmm. We they always used to say, um, you know, I've heard I think general surgeons say that the uh, appendicitis is there to keep you humble. You know, because it seems like getting rid of an appendix, doing an appendectomy should be a piece of cake, quick, easy. I mean, I've seen it done in under 10 minutes. And uh, then you get ones yeah. where it's just like, ha ha, sucker, going to make you work for it. So, yep, going to make it more complicated. But yeah, it 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 makes it so that you learn how to handle different situations. So yeah, in the long <laughs> run, very I true. suppose it's a good thing. <laughs> I have now emergency clamped EVDs and had to hold pressure to the head many a time. So nice job. <laughs> gives you experience, I guess. <laughs> There's no question about that. It definitely does. Well, thank anyway. you for your time, Aubrey. That was fun to yeah. chat about those things. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Obviously, this one's going to end up going up a little bit later than usual, but that's just because we've both been busy and life yep. sometimes gets in the way. Life's so. happening. It does. Yeah, thanks for chatting about all the crazy things people put up places. <laughs> you know, to, to <laughs> quote from uh, Dr. Glockham Flecken on uh, TikTok, as long as there have been penises, there have been people willing to stick things up there. So, <laughs> I love it. Well, anyway, I appreciate everyone watching. Leave a leave a review. Leave us any any feedback would be appreciated. I love doing this every few weeks. It's super fun to catch up and talk about all the stuff we we see at our jobs and stuff. So thanks for chatting with me about the stuff. Yeah, and, you know, share it with your friends. Let other people know if this is something that you find interesting. And if anybody wants to uh, reach out, uh, there's contact information on the website, which I don't think we've ever actually mentioned. So uh, inthemiddledistance.com will take you there. And both this podcast and, and my other podcast with my brother are on there, and there is a contact form and everything. So... We can yeah. take some feedback that way, uh, new ideas, anything like that. Uh, that's all there on the website. So go by, yeah. take a peek, and uh, and let us know. Yeah. Okay, thanks, guys. Okay, thanks again. <laughs>